Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Today it's part one of our season review stroke preview. We look back at Eintracht Frankfurt with the help of a very special guest, Cologne's exciting season in mid-table, and last but not least, RB Leipzig, the cup winners. Did they have a good season or could they have done even better? We'll discuss these and a few other things in this edition of Beer and Honey. Hello, dear listener. I'm Raphael Honigstein. I am Christoph Biermann. And we are Beer and Honey, the German football pod, with our first part of our very special season review stroke preview. We'll be looking at all the 20 teams that were or will be involved in the Bundesliga next season. 18 from last, plus the new promoted sides, Heidenheim and Darmstadt over the course of the next few weeks with some very special guests, including one that we will have today. But keep tuned. We'll introduce him a little bit later. Just before we start, let me say that we are deeply appreciative of your help. Uh, Beer and Honey is 100% financed by you, the listener, uh, especially the listeners, especially our uh, supporters, uh, the members of the Beer and Honey Supporters Club. They keep us going. Uh, do become one if you haven't already signed up, or even better, become an ultra and get a Beer and Honey very special mug as a token of our appreciation. Thank you for your support. Uh, Christoph, let's start our review with uh, 1. Köln, um, the team of your former domicile. You still live in Köln. How long were you in Köln? 20 years? Uh, yeah, I think I, I think even 21 years. So, ah. so, so quite a long time. And that was, was at a time Uh, when uh, Cologne was bouncing uh, between the first and, and, and second Bundesliga. And, uh, learning Fußball yeah, Deutsch. No. Learning Fußball Deutsch. What is a team like that called? Learning Fußball Deutsch with beer and honey. Fahrstuhlmannschaft. Yeah. yeah. Elevator team. Up and down. In English, it's yo-yo. In German, we have we're technologically more advanced, so we have ele <laughs> elevators. <laughs> um, okay, well, they're no longer bouncing up and down the divisions, and they've sort of found their happy place in the middle of the table. Would that be an accurate description of how the season played out? Yeah, I think um, um, if if you you put it all together. Um, Everybody around FC Cologne should be, and I think was happy about last season. Um, they played international football again in the Europa Conference League. Unluckily, uh, didn't make it out of the group, although the group was not so strong with Partizan, with uh, Nice and Slovatsko from, uh, from Czechia. And... Um, But they had a very solid Bundesliga season and at 11th, they had some remarkable games. I think um, 
the, uh, the fantastic and um, uh, still, I, I think um, it's, it's difficult to explain what happened there on the, on the day when they were beating Werder Bremen 7-1 the highest uh, win in in many years they um they were uh, defeating Borussia Dortmund and they got a draw in in Munich against Bayern that they, they deserved so um they never never got into problems concerning uh going down and uh, so i think um it was a good season with Overshadowed by two things, um, I mentioned the Conference League, where they had the, the were the, these riots in September when they were playing in Nice, because some a small group of Cologne supporters, together with their friends from PSG, uh, created chaos uh, in inside the stadium. So that was a very uh, disappointing experience. And toward the end of the season. Uh, there was almost a catastrophe looming with um, this transfer ban uh, by the UEFA um, concerning um, uh, Cologne had signed a youth player from Slovenia and um, and it was said, um, so they were accused of um, uh, doing something that wasn't allowed and there was this transfer ban, but this transfer ban so far is suspended so, um, but probably this summer they have to prepare themselves for two seasons um, uh, to, to get their players together. And that means that going forward, there is a sense of calmness that we haven't always seen at Köln. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, that's true. Um, this, the club still is in financial uh, trouble. Um, the, the the situation is better now than it was before, and I think when we when we put this together, um, the financial situation and the sporting situation is very interesting because we can say that uh, Cologne is an overachiever uh, of the, uh, their financial means. And they, um, before the start of the season, they um, had to release Sally Urchan and later on Anthony Modest, both to Borussia Dortmund, some two key players they managed to replace. And they have to do this again this summer. I mean, we talked about about Jonas Hector ending his career, but also Elias Skiri, um, uh, the the number six, maybe one of the um, the most important player uh, for for FC Cologne. He is um, he will leave the club without any transfer fee because his his contract runs out. Uh, we don't know yet where he'll, he'll be signing for. Is it true? Have you heard that there were rumors? that Bayern might sign him. Would that be an option? Do you think so? I, I haven't heard those rumors. Which is not okay. to say that they're not true, but... So so not, not like a... Not a glamorous uh, uh, player for, for the number six, but to have him as a kind of workhorse. But I don't know if that would make sense. But they um, um, they have uh, assigned replacements for him. Um, uh, a 20-year-old Dane is coming. Jakob Christensen from Norseland. And also they have a replacement for um, Jonas Hector. It's Leard Leard uh, Pacarada from St. Pauli. 
um, who played an outstanding season in the second division there. Um, they they've signed now Julian Chabot, who was on loan from Sampdoria, who I, I think is is for me was one of the big surprises as a as a centre back, very good player. And on loan they will have for next season Luca Waldschmidt, who used to play for for Germany, but had some kind of I don't know if you would agree underwhelming career in recent years. Yeah, hasn't quite kicked on. After that promising start, he played for Frankfurt, Hamburg, and then he rose in, in Freiburg, went there to Benfica, came to to Wolfsburg. But um, yeah, um, Steffen Baumgart is probably the man who gets somebody going who hasn't been going <laughs> so far, because I think um, he is also, I, I don't know if you would agree, one of the managers of the season again. No, absolutely. I think the the way that he kept Köln uh, really safe, they finished in 11th, never really too much trouble as far as relegation battle is concerned. Uh, that is yeah, fantastic achievement. And also, I think the energy and the, um, the entertainment that he brings to Köln, he seems to be the perfect, perfect manager for that. Uh, but uh, one thing he didn't do was to get better results against their lower Rhine derbies, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Gladbach won the first game in Gladbach 5-2, one of their handful of good performances last season. Um, they were helped by the fact that Florian Kainz was sent off after 45 minutes. And the return game finished in a goalless draw. So Köln finishing just behind one point in the table. So still something to play for next season, even if mid-table is another realistic scenario. Yeah, um, I, I think um, they were, um, especially Stefan Boy, but, but everybody at FC Cologne will be happy if they manage to change positions uh, next season so that Cologne is above Borussia Mönchengladbach. And I, I, I think there is a fair chance that we will see that. But um, um, but but despite these uh, results against the Folds, um, uh, I think everybody is happy at, at Cologne. And But let's move from Cologne to uh, another part of Germany from the east to, uh, to from the west to the east, from Cologne to Leipzig, from FC to RB. Um, how happy are they? I mean, um, it could have been better. That's what I very often thought about. Uh, Arby's um, season. What do you think, Rafael? Yeah, well, they only finished five points behind the the winners uh, by Munich. And if you look at some of the performances, you think maybe we we would have had a chance of winning the title if we'd been a bit more consistent ourselves. At the same time, they won the cup and they managed to solve their problems and find uh, some consistency, especially in the second half of the season. And I get the feeling that with Marco Rosa in charge, a a former player uh, at Mainz and other places who was actually born in Leipzig, so Leipzig-born 
coach in charge of Leipzig, uh, a new sporting director after a long um, yeah, gap where they didn't have anyone. Uh, Max Eber uh, is there. And a few changes behind the scenes with Oliver Minslav um, moving on more towards the Red Bull Corporation. It feels a more settled club than the one that Julian Nagelsmann left when we had this period of upheaval under Jesse Marsh and then Domenico Tedesco. So yes, uh, they could have done better, even better. But I get the sense there's a, a real yeah, level of satisfaction and contentment with what they've done and what they might do next season. And next season, of course, they're losing Christopher Nkunku, which is a big blow, not just for them, but for the whole Bundesliga. And what a wonderful player to watch over the last uh, two, three years. Uh, always full of wonderful goals, full of wonderful movement. Uh, the most exciting uh, striker, I think, in, in recent years, uh, with the ex possible exception of uh, one Erling Haaland. And they will also lose their talismanic midfielder in Konrad Leimer, who is such an important figure for them. All action, always uh, reliable, always on it. Uh, they have replacements, of course, in Xaver Schlager and Niki Seiwald coming in next season from Salzburg their feeder club, but I think Lima will be missed. And there is a chance, Christoph, as well, that Joško Guardiol will also leave the uh, Croatian centre-back. He's heavily linked with Man City. He's going to cost a lot of money because there's no release clause. So I think Leipzig have said 90 million euros, but Man City might actually pay that money. At which mm -hmm. point we're looking at a even bigger change for for next season. So... Leipzig have that sense of being settled behind the scenes, but I think they'll still have to work hard to recreate the quality that they might miss next season when when Guardiol becomes the third big player to leave. I was surprised that Dani Olmo extended his, uh, his contract because it looked as if he was trying to get the picture where in, in what direction uh, Leipzig is heading. We mentioned it, losing Kunku, losing Leimer, probably losing Guardiol. I mean, that uh, uh, that might cause problems. But he decided to stay. Why? What is his motivation? What what did what 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 did he see? What does he see uh, uh, coming in in Leipzig? Well, the, the the cynical answer might be because he didn't have any better offers. Um, <laughs> the less cynical answer would be that he's settled there. He feels looked after. You know, he's had some injury problems, and maybe that's put the doubt into one or two of those uh, clubs looking at him. I also feel that the formation that Leipzig play or the system, which is often the system with wide players who are quite narrow, uh, fits him really well because he is one of those players that doesn't really, I think, easily fit into a category. He's not a winger. He's not really a number 10. He's definitely not a striker. 
But in Leipzig system where a lot of these hybrid hybrid players tend to thrive and in Kunku, I guess, was a more extreme version of that. But you can also mention Forsberg or Soboslai, uh, players who play in these half spaces. Perhaps they have a better way of accommodating his quite unique skill set than uh, bigger teams who look perhaps for more specialized uh, players in certain roles. I mean, that is just a speculation on my behalf, but... I feel that he's being 25, he's still got an, a lot of time to reach his potential and then maybe at 27, 28 have that bigger move that I'm sure secretly he's, he's thinking about. But the season has been has been okay, but not spectacular enough, I think, for clubs to really force the issue this summer. Mentioning Olmo and Nkunku, both of them were missing parts of the season. Is that maybe the explanation where these missing five or six points uh, uh, were hiding? Yeah, um, Kunku missed, missed a lot of um, game time. He got injured just before the World Cup and then uh, came back only towards the, the end of the second half of the season. But they managed to, of course, not replace him, but compensate for his absence pretty well. Andre Silva had a decent season, Timo Werner after a difficult start ended the season quite uh, quite strongly scored some important goals for them so uh, of course if if Leipzig would have had the whole team available and everyone in form then they might have had a better chance but I guess this happens to every team that they will lose one or two players and the question is how well can they compensate them also uh, don't forget Marco Rose had really had to change the style of the team or let's say reinvent the style of the team because under Julian Nagelsmann they had moved towards more of a possession side and they had become a bit slower a bit more intricate then Jesse Marsh completely dialed back the clock to 2015 we don't want the ball <laughs> let's just run <laughs> then Domenico Tedesco went the other way again actually a more extreme version of possession almost And now Rosa is trying to balance those two things and uh, keep the identity of Leipzig, but at the same time develop their possession game, which is necessary because you cannot play uh, just on in transition uh, with these players. This is not a squad built for just running and transition. This is actually a, a squad full of these hybrid players who want to have the ball who are good in small spaces. So you have to accommodate that without losing the pace and the transition movement that um, yeah that, that Leipzig was built on and I think it took a bit of time for Rose to finesse that uh, tactical yeah is it I don't know what the best term for it is it's not a evolution it's it's a it's a rejig shall we say uh, it's not completely new But it's also a departure from what was there immediately before. So it's kind of returned to a happier equilibrium between those extreme styles of his two predecessors. And I, and I think perhaps it was inevitable that one or two performances, uh, especially at the beginning of the season, would still, would still be a little bit shaky. Um, I also feel with Leipzig that they sometimes still haven't figured out so well how to deal with the Champions League and Bundesliga at the same time. 
uh, often, even though now they've had a few years of this, often uh, one form suffers a little bit and then uh, the other seems to be better. Uh, this year they did make it out of the uh, group stage, of course, but they had this, this poor start, um, you might recall, where they didn't win any of their first three games. They drew against Stuttgart, drew against Köln, then lost at Union. So that was already a bit of a setback from the beginning and it took a bit of time before they really hit their stride. You mentioned uh, Timo Werner, um, who had, yeah, I would agree, had a decent season, especially towards the end, but still is probably the most controversial player in the Bundesliga. Um, or or, or some, somebody like... Um, the perfect victim or so because he attracts so much um, uh, vitriol uh, yeah. vitriol um, it's um, and, and, and 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 honestly I feel the same when I see him in, in a stadium or when I see him on, on TV or so very often he He goes on my nerves and it's difficult to to explain how. Can you do it? There is something, I think, about Timo Werner where you feel he's not actually making the most out of his potential and that in itself is always a bit annoying, irrespective of how you feel about a certain player. If you feel that they could be doing better um, and they're sort of underachieving and undershooting their potential, it's it's a little bit annoying. And... I think in in Chelsea at Chelsea, where he had similar issues, and of course where his real dive in in form happened, the funny thing was that people kind of took him to heart and saw him as a kind of a cult hero. He's <laughs> he's always trying. He scores lots of goals from offside <laughs> positions. <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of feel for him because it doesn't quite work for him. And in Germany, maybe there's a less tolerance for somebody underachieving. We don't have this idea that somebody is quite sweet and nice when they don't when they don't win. I think we find it more annoying and unforgivable. Uh, it it turns into uh, yeah, it turns into animosity. But he did only score nine goals in the league, which is not a lot uh, in 27 games. It's not a disaster, but it's not great, especially if you compare him to Christopher Nkunku, who scored 16 in fewer games and, and seems to have much more consistency. Um, yeah, Timo Werner, I think, needs more goals and perhaps more confidence that he seems to have lost a little bit in the last couple of years to win back the, yeah, at least the neutrality of the, <laughs> of the, of the public. I think his, his, his lack of success with Germany is also a problem because whatever he does at Leipzig, um, most people don't really care. Uh, most people have a, um, not a positive disposition towards Leipzig if you were to score goals for Germany helping them succeed in, in World Cups and Euros then the situation would change but he hasn't been able to do that so that hasn't helped his position either um, yeah one to watch but 
it, it looks like a player maybe, who has lost his way a little bit at the moment. Um, maybe the, another chance to have um, uh, some more learning Fußball Deutsch. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really uh, interested in, in what the translation of Chancentod is. Learning Fußball Deutsch with beer and honey. <laughs> I think we've had that before on Beer and Honey. Um, Did we? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. Anyway, um, if we haven't, then uh, please ac accept my apologies. Uh, Schanzentod is somebody who's, a, who's the death, the death of chances, <laughs> the death of opportunities. He, he kills opportunities, but not in, in a good way by, by finishing them. <laughs> But in a way that they they come to die uh, at his feet. But what, what, what would the English be the English equivalent? What's is there a word that's used for this kind of uh, mainly strikers who desperately uh, blow their chances? And um, I think. But the difference between, and in modern times, we would say the difference between XG and real goals is uh, where there is a big gap. No, I think the closest we have is donkey, but it doesn't quite <laughs> uh, doesn't quite have the same nuance. Um, no, I mean there's there's strikers who can't hit a barn door, that's the expression. But uh, no, kind kind kind. There's no chancen toward. Schasen tot, as Franz Beckenbauer might say. Anyway, um, somebody who was a Schansen tot uh, as a player was our guest, but in a good way because he was often a goalkeeper. And he was killing the opportunities of the strikers. Uh, and that guest is Ronald Reng. A special guest. A special guest. And a great author of uh, many football books, especially. He, he has uh, written also two novels, a book on running, but uh, he's famous mostly for his books on football. And um, some of them you can read in English because they have been translated. Keeper of Dreams is one of my all-time favorites, uh, for example. Uh, the story of Lars Lese, who accidentally ended up in the Premier League playing for Barnsley, a fantastic book. Also, Match Day's hidden history of the Bundes, uh, the hidden story of the Bundesliga, uh, 50 years of Bundesliga told through the lens of the widely unknown Heinz Höher, um, uh, a player and coach in the Bundesliga. Uh, fantastic book. And his most famous is. Um, surely Robert Enke's A Life Too Short, um, the biography um, of the uh, goalkeeper who committed suicide. And uh, he wrote it together uh, with uh, Teresa Enke, his wife. So these books are highly recommended, but also the others about Barca, about um, Miro Klose, a very good biography um, about a... A uh, football scout called Morosco, uh, also fun to read. And his last one is about uh, three young football players. Ronnie almost followed for how many years? Ronnie, 15 years, 12 years 
incredibly long. Well, actually nine years, <laughs> but it always sounds better if you say 10 years. It sounds even longer than <laughs> And And uh, so three players he, he followed from, from the youth time. And um, one of them uh, debuted for the German national team uh, this week, Marius Wolf. Um, and uh, yeah, so a lot of recommendation, but... Ronnie is here today with us um, because he is not only born in Frankfurt, but he is also a big expert in Eintracht Frankfurt and a big fan. I think we can say that also. Welcome. Thank you very much for your kind words, Christoph. I think everything is said. We can stop it here and go home before I spoil <laughs> the, the very nice impression of me which you've given. Um, it's an honor to be here and obviously to talk about the most exciting club in Germany. And that's not what I said. That's what the new manager said yesterday. Are you happy with the new manager? Dino Topmüller, the son of Klaus Topmüller. We, we already talked about him briefly here. But, but uh, how excited are you about his excitement being at the most exciting <laughs> team? <laughs> well, exciting times, exciting times. No, it is, certainly. I think it's a very interesting choice they made. He never been a, um, a manager at a big club. He was assistant manager to Julian Nagelsmann for three years, I think, uh, two at Leipzig, if I'm not mistaken, and one at Bayern Munich. He's got a great reputation within the game. I remember being at Leipzig and uh, having breakfast with another assistant coach of um, Julian Nagelsmann with uh, Moritz Foltz, who actually played in London for, for some years. And uh, Moritz started talking about Dino Topmüller without me asking because he was so, uh, so well, not obsessed, but so, so kind of um, his uh, working methods. Um, he seems, Dino Totmaler seems a guy who's, um, who's seeing things um, on the pitch, which not everybody sees, and he's very clear in the communication. He's got a very good way to talk with players. Um, he's still young. Um, 42, so he still can relate very well to players, I think. So I think it's an exciting uh, choice for Eintracht Frankfurt. But how disappointed are you that Oliver Glasner left? I mean, he he won the um, Europa League with their team qualified for, for the Champions League, uh, qualified for the German Cup final, and there was a lot of controversy about him last season are you disappointed that he's leaving or would you say you're rather relieved i think it was time that he left after the last half season um everybody could see and it was painful to see that things were not working out anymore and it was painful to see because he's such a charming man and he's such a great manager um he really worked well for one and a half years but after the world cup um really the Frankfurt game broke down um, because key players like Daichi Kamada and Mario Götze came back from the World Cup with a in, in bad form um, or even psychologically down. And the team never got going again after the winter break. I think it happens to quite a few teams and it's never mentioned that it was the first time you had a World Cup which really ripped the season into part. Um, and you could see that Klasner had no answer to his team not performing. Performing, He was basically tinkering around, I think. And he particularly had no communication strategy. One day he was slaughtering the team in public uh, when they played Union Berlin away. 
he said, well, what should I do as a manager if I don't have the quality in the team? Which was quite shocking. He was, um, he was naming players in public. Um, and, but it wasn't coming out of a strategy that he was trying to, to kick his players' asses. It was just that he was offended. Uh, he was angry and he let his emotions flow. And the other day, then he was trying to defend his player again. So you could see that, um, his relationship with the players, but also with the sporting director were really stressed. And, um, it came to a point where it was really in a cool de sac. It wasn't, uh, going any further. And you could see the clear thing that it was the right decision that he left was the day, um, he, they announced that Oliver Glasner was to leave after this. There was a kind of relief and the team at least uh, didn't lose the last three games in the Bundesliga. They got seven points out of three before that they hadn't won in 10 games. So, um, as I said, the relationship was basically destroyed, which is quite sad because Klaasner is a fantastic guy. Everybody, really everybody in Frankfurt loved him. Um, you met him in town. He was sitting in a cafe quite often <laughs> and uh, you could approach him and uh, he would talk to everybody. Um, and that was a great thing about him. But I think in the end, that was really what cost him the job as well, because he had just one face. He was talking all the time, like Oliver Klaassen. As I said, he had no strategy. Um, he is a guy from a small village in Austria and he was walking around in Frankfurt, but also in the club, just talking the way he is. And when he was angry, he was letting his emotions uh, flow. And I think as a manager, you can't do that. He should have saw earlier in February what strategy, communication strategy, technical strategy is necessary now to get the team back on track. In the end, it was the most beautiful season because Frankfurt played some wonderful football in the autumn. And it was the most terrible season because they let it all fall apart in, in, in spring. They should have been qualified for the Champions League this season with the football they played in in autumn. So in total, I think it's a lost chance. Glasner was very frustrated, especially um, because I, I think one of the big issues was that he was saying that he um, was lacking quality in the in the back line, that he were missing some central defenders and that he... Uh, wasn't provided by Markus Krösche, the technical director, the sports director, with the replacement of players that left. Did he have a point, or would you would you say that he was overstretching the argument? I think he had a small point, particularly if it comes to the defense. If you remember, we had Martin Hinteregger on top form for the last two seasons, and then he suddenly announced he was quitting football, totally unheard of last summer. And it's true to say that Markus Krusher didn't get a full substitute for Hinteregger. He brought in a guy from Salzburg on Guiné, 25-year-old defender, and it seemed uh, he didn't, uh, well, he wasn't up for it. Um, but I think if you look at the full picture, um, that was the only, the only part of, um, of the team strategic signings where Crusher failed. Um, he brought in for Glasner some really great players. Obviously, Muani, the striker, which is one of the best five strikers in the world these days, but also a player like Ebimbe in midfield. He's a fantastic player. We will hear a lot from him the next two years. He brought in Mario Götze, who gave the team another edge in the passing game. He brought in Luca Alario, even if he didn't, he had no chance to uh, 
to to shine because Muani was playing this position all the time, but he was an experienced striker. So I think Crusher on total made some really good signings, which improved the team. Um, and I think you can expect from a manager that um, he has to tinker a bit, at least in one position, um, that not everything is smooth all the time. And Glasner did in the first half of the season came up with some defensive solutions. But what we have here is, I think, um, let's call it a strategic problem, which exists in many clubs that the, the manager of the team wants the best players, uh, experienced players, um, he can work with. But the sports director has another strategic goal on the side. He wants to bring in young players as well who can rise and uh, who improve their market value. And because a club like Eintracht Frankfurt, like most clubs, rely also on improving players and selling them for a better price. And Crusher brought him some really, we thought, promising, we, the, the, the public, promising players like Paxton Arison from Philadelphia Union. I think he's really, he's 18 years old. He's a really, well, technically gifted talent for the offensive midfield. And, uh, or Ali Du from second division Hamburg, a 19 year old quick winger. And Glasner didn't seem that he wanted to work with this kind of players. He said publicly, um, well, what should I do with second division players? So there was a conflict um, right at the start of the season that Crusher said, listen, you have, I bring you some young players. Not all of them will blossom here, but you have to make some players better, print them into the team so we can raise um, some 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 money with them maybe in two or three years. And Klasner seemed to be very adverse to, to this kind. He seemed to think, well, I won the Europa League with Eintracht Frankfurt. I want to improve the team. I need solid, experienced players here. So we had this strategic conflict right from the start. And again, Klasner was that man from the Austrian village who said... Uh, everything the in public, everything to everybody, the way he felt it. And he even in, I think it was in, in September, October, he told the Frankfurt journalist, uh, well, what should I do with a second division player like Ali Du? And um, I think it's quite difficult if a, a manager is um, well raising this kind of concerns in, in public. Ronnie, did the conflict become uh, personal between Crusher and Glasner at some stage? It felt as if it wasn't just a strategic misalignment, but it got to the point where the two didn't really see eye to eye anymore and there had to be a separation. Uh, I think that was um, obviously when, when the team is losing or not winning like Frankfurt in spring for 10 games, Tension becomes uh, rife, basically, and uh, any conflict will get some kind of personal. Particularly after Frankfurt won the Europa League last season, I guess every everybody in the club starts to think then, I was the one who won the Europa League, and the others don't have a clue. And listen what the others are doing now. They're ripping the club apart. This kind of thinking certainly came in the blame game. It's everybody else but not you. But I think that uh, particular Crusher did try to calm things down. And even if things got heated once or twice in a conversation between them, I think the personal issue was just the logical side issue. 
I think the big issue was that Klasner didn't come up with a solution um, to get the team back on the winning track, track that he lost it basically emotionally, commun communication-wise, that some players were really, again, the blame game. Oh, it's the manager who's, uh, who's cocking up everything basically, but the players lost belief in him. Um, and there was, yes, there was a strategic conflict between Klasner and Crusher, which players, um, they would fancy more experienced players. But in total, I think the personal side was just um, a side issue, nothing more. Ronnie, you talked about uh, last season being a missed opportunity. At the same time, it was one of Frankfurt's best ever seasons. Champions League last 16, uh, another qualification for Europe at the end of it, plus the final. What do you think was the the, the overwhelming emotional response of supporters such as yourselves? Was it... Uh, an enjoyable season was it something that you will always cherish or was there also an element of we're seeing something that's not going to last Glasner is about to leave maybe one or two players are going to leave and you can't really enjoy it because you can already see during that supposed enjoyment and excitement that things are changing uh, and perhaps not for the better for the next season Well, I think I'm quite an exception that I see it as a lost opportunity. I, th I was quite surprised in the last five, six years, uh, surprised by the response of the, uh, the majority of Frankfurt supporters. There seem, you know, supporters are by nature quite emotional. Um, but they seem to be quite sensible. Uh, in Frankfurt, all the time you hear people, well, we know where we're coming from. Uh, we are going to enjoy this uh, ride on the high, but we are prepared that it can't last forever. And that well, after in spring, I think people were crumbling. Wow, what's happening with the team? They played such fantastic, marvelous football in autumn. Where's it all gone? But after a while, everybody seemed to think, well, hold on. We are not Bayern Munich. We are not Borussia Dortmund. What are we complaining about? And that's what, for example, Oliver Klasner told, uh, told me himself that he was surprised when he was sitting in the cafe at uh, Schweizer Straße, Schweizer Street, the, the famous street in South Frankfurt and enjoying his coffee. People came up to him and saying, well, Mr. Klasner, don't worry too much. We're used to much worse football. You're doing fine. So people really have a sense of reality in Frankfurt and, uh, I'm surprised. I'm not that kind of supporter. <laughs> um, now, uh, next season, one one of your, not one of your, your favorite player, Daichi Kamada, uh, will not uh, be playing for Frankfurt anymore. It's uh, So far, it's not clear where he's heading to, probably to Benfica or to Milan or wherever. How sad will you be and Uh, can he be re replaced? Well, I'm in denial at the moment. You know, I don't want to recognize that he's leaving, obviously. Maybe to, to your listeners, not everybody of them will know Daichi Kamada, which is a shame because um, I, I thought how to describe him. I think he would be the typical player Arsene Wenger would have signed for Arsenal. You know, a wonder, technically wonderful player. Um, you would see marvelous performance from him. 80% of the games, and in the end, you would be wondering, hey, why don't we win trophies uh, that much with him? You know, he's a he's a class act, uh, aesthetically, if that's the right word. Um, 
His touch of the ball is second to, man, to none. Um, that's why I fall in love with him. I saw him play and I thought, no, nobody can take away the ball from him. Um, and he improved physically. His, um, he's even winning tacklings now. So I think he's a player he can play <laughs> in every team in the world um, with the danger of um, going lost. A bit like uh, Mesut Özil to, to give people uh, the impression also, I think he's much more present than Mesut. Uh, Mesut Özil disappeared quite often during games. And uh, Kamada, if he's not having his best games, at least he's trying to work himself into the game again. So it will be a huge loss for me, that's for sure. Um, if it will be a huge loss for Inter Frankfurt, it has to be seen. I mean, his statistics were very good. I think he scored 16 goal that goals and had six assists last season. But... There's still Mario Götze to stay, who's technically very good. And we get a guy from Malmo, Hugo Larsson. We get that young American, Paxton Arson. So if one of the two youngsters, Larsson or Arson, can maybe step into the role of Kamada, they don't need to be that good. But they have a bimbe behind them and they have Götze next to them and they can certainly pass the ball. They have the thinking of a, a thinking man's footballer. And we can produce really some nice touching football next year as well. I'm, I'm definitely confident of that. Um, I'm not sure what, what will I do? You know, um, do I have to watch AC Milan to see Camaro on a Saturday or can I, can I go on watch Eintracht Frankfurt? That's the big question for me. Mm. <laughs> Another big question is, can you continue to watch, uh, in an Eintracht shirt or will you, will you have to watch, uh, your second favorite team from, from Bayern Munich? Uh, next season. I mean, where, 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 where is he going? Is he staying? What was, what is your sense about his future? Uh, what I hear from Frankfurt is that uh, they haven't heard anything there. And Crusher is always in, um, in exchange with people from Paris Saint Germain. And there is this insecurity at Paris Saint Germain. Apparently, what will Mampé do? Does he just wants to raise his uh, small salary at Paris with? With telling people I'm, uh, um, I'm not taking that option to, to resign my contract for a year. Is he just trying to renegotiate his contract or is he really trying to go to Real Madrid? Frankly, I can't see him leaving per Paris this year, um, for Real Madrid because Madrid just spent 100 million euros on Bellingham and I can't them really sp see spending another 150 million on Mbappé. Why I'm telling you this, because Paris Saint-Germain apparently are quite clear if we're losing Mbappé one day this year, not probably, but maybe next year, we want Muani as his substitute. So Frankfurt are really in a comfort comfortable situation. Muani's contract runs till 2027. They don't have to sell him this season. If somebody comes in this season and offers them 100,000 million euros, I think they will sell him. And if I would be Bayern Munich, if there's any sense left at Bayern Munich, I would try to, to <laughs> sign him this season because, as I said, there is the danger of him leaving for, for Paris next season. From what I take from Wani, I obviously haven't spoken to him personally, but uh, from his public appearances, he seems to be quite relaxed about his situation because he really likes it at Frankfurt. Um to play with Eintracht Frankfurt. He scored 15 goals, 14 assists in the Bundesliga in 32 games, I think. 
which are high numbers. He can see that he can rise at Frankfurt. And so he wouldn't worry to spend there another season, which was his plan straight away when he signed for Frankfurt last season to improve there for two years to make it then to the next stage. So if he stays, he stays. If he doesn't stay, Frankfurt will get huge money. And I'm sure they have already thought about who to sign then. So uh, I don't think that's a big worry for Frankfurt supporters at the moment. So before we leave, uh, Ronnie, um, you were saying last season was for you a kind of missed opportunity. Um, but you're also excited about the new coach and the prospect that Kolomorny is maybe stay, uh, staying for another season. So is the future at least in next year uh, golden for Eintracht Frankfurt or uh, what medal is there uh, <laughs> uh, is there for, for your club? I think the future is orange like a morning dawn. You know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it will be to be seen what they really achieve. But with Sino Topmala, you can really, uh, you could see the team trying to play attacking football again. Um, and you could, if you look at the players, if Lindstrom stays, uh, Götze, as I said, if one of the youngsters like Arison steps in, you could see them pr producing another big, big, beautiful, uh, performances. You know, not everybody will know, uh, Dino Topmüller's father was once a coach at Eintracht Frankfurt or a manager in 93. And that was probably the most beautiful football Germany had ever seen, which they produced, um, And it was uh, it was nicknamed Football 2000 because it was uh, in 93 and obviously thought, oh, they're playing football like in the year 2000 would play. And I think they got a good chance to play Football 3000 next year. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, Ronnie. Um, it was a great pleasure to have you here. And uh, enjoy your holidays because you're soon going to holidays and... Uh, Relax. Thank you very much. It's always a nice surprise if somebody's interesting in Eintracht Frankfurt, even if it's just the two of you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and and hundreds of listeners, yeah? So don't, don't underestimate the beer and honey audience. No. Nor indeed your pulling power, <laughs> uh, Ronnie. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ronnie. Anytime Speak again. Speak soon. That wraps things up for part one of the big season review and preview. We'll be back next week looking at three more clubs with the help of another special guest. So do please uh, watch out for that. And in the meantime, become a supporter if you can. We appreciate your help. I was Ravel Onigstein. I was Christoph Biermann. And we say bye-bye. Bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast. <laughs>